Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Good morning. Welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 77. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every week, you will hear stories from professionals in the skilled trades, business owners, educators, people giving real-world advice. Now, listen, we don't run any ads on this podcast, so if you found some value, please share it, leave a review with a friend, and just let people know about it. Now, today, we are going to talk about how you can use the internet and social media to build strong online presence. We're going to talk about the importance of joining professional associations to help advance your career, because nowadays, it's not enough to just go to a job and go home. You've got to really build a strong online presence, and you've got to join groups and associations within your industry to advance your career. So today's guest grew up in Michigan. He attended the University of Michigan. He's an executive director and CEO of the American Welding Society. And his role, what he's responsible for a staff of 145 people, he's also responsible for the members and volunteers. My guest's strengths are his sales skills. So he has a sales background, and he's very proud of spending 10 years working in Asia where he adopted his daughter. During his free time, he enjoys playing golf. Please welcome Gary Karnaska to the Skill Stadium Podcast. How are you this morning, Gary? Oh, I'm great, Keith, and thanks for having me today. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. So, Gary... Um, you were in Asia. You were in China. Can you tell us how you ended up adopting your daughter? That's a very interesting story. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I had an opportunity uh, for the organization I was working for uh, to move to Asia to work as what's called an expatriate. So, you know, remain a U.S. citizen, but actually live and work uh, overseas. And while doing that, we were trying to grow our family. And so it so happened that living in China, if you're actually living there full time, you're able to, after 12 months, actually kind of jump the long line. If you've ever heard about adopting from China, it's a very lengthy process. Yes. And by living there for 12 months, we're able to actually kind of get to the front of the line in a way. And so kind of that was like the catalyst that we were able to bring our daughter Mia home, you know, just after about 18 to 20 months from start to finish. Excellent. Excellent. And also, was it in terms of how did you, uh, in terms of the process, did you have somebody to help guide you through it or, you know, like, because you said it did take some time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very rigorous process. And so I would say that the overall system is, is very good, uh, a little bit slow. We actually had to work with the U.S. adoption agency. We actually had to have home studies. There happens to be a couple of individuals that live in China that provide those home studies. Um, so it was just as if we were living in the U.S. It's just the process was happening there, which kind of cut some of the corners. But overall, I mean, it's a reasonable process. It's just a lot of paperwork, a lot of rigor to it, which I think is a good thing overall. Definitely. How about picking up the language and the culture being there? That must have been must have been uh, challenging and quite an experience, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, language, we tried. I mean, we really put in an effort. You know, I had kind of a language coach coming twice a week. Uh, but then, you know, work gets in the way. You start traveling and you miss one lesson and then two weeks go by and then three weeks. 
uh, and it's such a difficult language. And so in the end, uh, we were not able to, you know, adopt the language. But a culture, that's one of the things. I mean, when you travel to a new place and you're there for a week, two weeks, even a month, that's one type of experience. But when you're actually living in a place, you're immersed in the culture. I mean, you really learn what's going on, kind of like what's the real deal. Whenever people would kind of visit on a business trip and they'd by the end of the week, oh, that was such a great experience, they'd fly home. Well, then you'd go and you'd try to battle the grocery store and you try to find a restaurant. And, and those types of experiences, just completely different than traveling in and out. And I mean, again, it grows you. And that's the thing, you know, you learn reliability, adaptability, resilience, all those types of things that you just think of. Well, I'm living in this foreign place. I'm on their soil. I've got to adapt to them. They're not going to change for me, right? There's thousands of years of culture there and you have to respect that and you have to learn that and operate within that context. Oh, I agree hundred percent. Hey, so, you know, we connected through LinkedIn. I know this active on social media. Can you share how these platforms have affected how you do business and connect with people in your industry? Yeah, I mean, ironic, you know, as we were talking, you know, Facebook came out whenever it did. And I wasn't an early adopter per se. I actually was on MySpace first. And you probably remember that, Keith. I many, remember that. And yeah. Many probably don't. And, yeah. and it was first a tool to connect with family. We were overseas uh, and it was like the perfect timing for social media to kind of evolve. And I kind of always participated personally on it, but it really wasn't until I joined AWS where it became more of a business tool. And now it's kind of an essential part of what I do. Uh, at the end of the day, one of my roles is to promote the welding industry, right? We've got a huge shortage of welders. You know, we just published some new data that the AWS endorses where between now and 2024, we're going to be short 314,000 welders based on the needs of manufacturing. So each year, nearly 80,000 new welders are needed based on retirements, based on people leaving the industry. And so social media provides a way to amplify the voice to get to as many different people as possible. And so I'll use LinkedIn as an example, which is my primary source because I'm focused on the business community. And are welders or future welders necessarily on LinkedIn? Maybe not, but their parents are, their mm -hmm. uncles are, their cousins are, their family members, their friends. And when they see that consistent message, this need for more welders, there's this need for more skilled trades. You think about some of the earning opportunities and potential, right? And I don't, I'm not a big fan of promoting, oh, you can make all this huge money. Yes, but that's really an end to any industry. But what you can build is a career. And so when I look at the ability of social media, it's not that I'm necessarily communicating to the next welder per se, but communicating to the next person that knows the next welder. Yes. And then it's just like that kind of pyramid effect of, you know, if I could touch five and each of those five can touch five and each of those five can touch five. You know, that multiplying effect that you have, that's the power of social media. You know, if I were to try to call or reach out individually to one person at a time to spread this message, impossible. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Makes perfect sense. You know, we call that scaling. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. I also believe that when you put that message out there on a consistent basis, 
it does start to affect people. People start to get the message. They're like, okay, I've seen Gary Konarska talking about this. I've heard it. Now I'm also hearing it from other people who are affiliates or who are in the industry. So it's not just one person. Yeah, it starts to connect. And the thing that I think too, is a lot of people are not aware of what welders do or how many things that they touch. And I'll tell you, I didn't work in the skill trades. And so I don't have that background, but through my business and through my podcast and my social media and interviewing people, I have learned so much about all of the different facets and areas that they touch. I never look at, you know, like a bridge or something that's built the same way, the tools that we have, you know, just everything that I touch and use on a fairly regular basis has been touched by a welder. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of that till I started interviewing welders. So I think we do. It's so important for us to, to um, educate the, uh, the public. Yeah. I mean, if you think about maybe not directly, but indirectly, welding touches pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. If you think about how our products transported, right? Trains, planes, automobiles, trucks. There's tons of welding on all those things I just highlighted. Oh, yeah. Think about manufacturing equipment. They're making toothpaste. Well, how is toothpaste made? Highly advanced automated machinery that's welded together, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the things that we like to talk about, welding is really a process within the manufacturing industry, naturally. Mm -hmm. And it's never kind of like the finished thing. It's not like the weld is not what anybody uses per se. It's used to build other things. Mm -hmm. And that's either directly like a automobile, right? Without welding, you could not put an automobile together. Or it's weld as equipment to build other things. Mm -hmm. And well, the, the common welding, which is where you see sparks flying and you got people wearing hoods. I learned this interesting fact about a month ago that the number one type of welding is actually nothing like that. It's plastics welding. Really? I thought to myself, what on earth are you talking about? They're like a bag of potato chips. Yeah. Like imagine how many bags of potato chips globally a day, like yes. million, hundreds, Mil- billions. Billions. Yeah. That's ultrasonically welded to seal that bag. So that's not welding and how like I would have thought about it before, but it's a joining process, right? So, you know, welding is joining two materials together and I won't get technical on it, but man, then that's really like, holy cow, it really does seriously touch everything in our daily lives. That's got to be automated though, right? So that's like- absolutely. Okay, that's got to be like equipment that they just that. Wow, I, I yeah, and it's all you know hands off in that case. But that's one of the things. Again, when people like if you close your eyes and imagine what does a welder do, right? You think there's like oh, there's dirt and there's dust and there's smoke, but that is not where industry is transitioning, mm-hmm. right? Collaborative robot welding, artificial intelligence, lasers. You know, last night I was with some of our volunteers. They were at one of the facilities doing handheld laser welding, right? I mean, there's all this new part of the industry that we're moving towards because that's just what all industries are doing. They're adding technology, right? Part of the reason they're adding that technology is because we do have the shortage of welders. Yes. And so you've got to continue to bridge the gap. Yes. And over the last 10 years, we've made huge strides the number of people enrolled in learning welding as a craft, right? It's actually doubled, roughly doubled how many people are attending a welding school in 2020 was our last survey versus 2010. But yet we're still short 
78,500 welders each year for the next three years. You have so people we, retiring though. That's part of the challenge. And that's it, right? And we all know it, right? There's yeah. a generation that is the was the largest part of the workforce. They're now already not the largest part of the workforce. And mm-hmm. that's just going to continue to accelerate. Mm-hmm. And this is happening across all industries all and the skilled trades, especially because we went through this time period, you know, when I went through high school, like nobody talked to me about the skilled trades. Yes. Right. That just wasn't part of the vernacular. If you actually did have a guidance counselor that you took the time to go see, which I don't remember going to see one myself, they wouldn't have been like, okay, yeah, you you're not that interested in school and the academic side. You like to work with your hands. Here are some great careers to do that. And so actually you mentioned social media. I just put up an article two days ago because I kept hearing this number about the number of students that a obtain a college degree. And you always have heard the vernacular around who's going to college, who's going to college, right? So I came across this website, it's like educationdata.org. And it talked about 69% of high school completers, and they were very clear in this. So I started using that term, I hadn't actually heard it before, go to college. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty good number. I like it. But only 46% of those people actually complete college and obtain a college degree. So you do the math, 68 times 46, just under 32% of high school completers are actually finishing college. And that is the most important part. Going to college for a semester or a year or two, not obtaining a degree, while yes, you learn, your knowledge base grew, you learned some great things, you probably met some cool people. But without that finishing degree, it says it. You can't say you're a college graduate at that point. And so Mm -hmm. now you're in the I'm not a college graduate camp, which is the majority. And so this is now kind of one of the things as we talk about that consistency of a message. Now, I'm now focusing on who's finishing college because, yeah, it's a good metric. We need to know who's starting And we need to do things within the academic arena to get more people to graduate by all means. But let's not lose sight of the fact that now two thirds of all people that complete high school don't end up with a college degree. It's true. So what do they do? Right. Where do they find a career that they can build a family, eventually buy a house that they they prefer, have a vehicle that runs reliably, that they know that once they start to get very skilled in that trade, that they'll have a job for life. Now, it might not be at that one organization that they're at today. And that's one of my other messages I really like to talk about. It's so diverse what you can do in welding. You've got the different types of welding. You've got the different types of industries. You've got different regions of the U.S. that have different types of companies to work at. If you like to travel, you can go leave your home and be gone for six months and never come back, working a lot of hours, not having time to spend the money. Well, what does that mean? You're saving a ton of money and you can come back home and and not work for two months. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'll give you an example, an oil and gas welder that goes out to an oil rig, right? This is high end critical welding. They'll go out for say two weeks on the rig, working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Then they get two weeks off back home, right? You take a boat out to the rig, you might fly in a helicopter out there and you work really hard and then you don't work at all. Like you literally are off, you're on vacation for two weeks. And that's an example of like the dynamic aspect of you could have a seven to three thirty type of role, 
You could work nights if that might work better for your family situation. So you can share in the childcare duties. You can travel. I mean, the possibilities are endless. And so when I talk to students, I say, look, if the first role you take in the welding industry isn't the perfect fit, don't give up on welding, Mm -hmm. right? It's either not the right fit at the employer. Maybe you're not challenged enough or what you're doing is not interesting, right? You're in a mass production facility welding the same thing every day. That's not your thing. Like you're more creative. Well, go find a shop that's not doing the same thing every day. True. But don't leave welding because when you build a resume, you build a career, you've got possibilities. And I'm telling you, when you're a skilled welder, you have a job for life. I agree. Talk to me about some of the different type of welders because, you know, you touched on it a little bit, but I've heard that you have underwater welders, like people who go underwater. But tell me about the different type of welders and maybe share which ones are really hot now, which ones are growing the most and have some real opportunities. Sure. Yeah. So there's, you know, again, welding tends to be a little quite regional, right? And then it, it kind of makes sense. If you're along the coast, there's probably places that are either building ships or repairing yes. ships, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in the Gulf Coast region, shipbuilding is very big. So that's one area. And you kind of think about when I'm welding on a ship, all the pieces are very large and I could weld on this area for a week, two weeks, whatever, but that entire structure won't be completed for a year, mm-hmm. right? So you would call that kind of a slow pace, right? Like a, a lower volume, high mix type of application where you're contributing to a very large scale project that when it's done and you look back, you're like, wow, I contributed to building this colossal type thing. Or you can then turn around and say, okay, I'm going to go help build Caterpillar or John Deere equipment. Now there's a lot of automation involved. You're at a station. You've got a lot of parts coming in front of you. You're welding, highly efficient. They're really focused on making sure that you're comfortable as a worker because they know that the more comfortable you are, the more productive you are. Mm-hmm. But now it's a more stable environment, meaning you're in a workshop, you report every day, right? So that's a big industry in, say, the Midwest, welding on construction machinery. And that is very focused on a certain type of welding process. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if you're learning to weld in Iowa, as an example, you're going to really focus in on that type of welding, MIG welding, yes. right? I mentioned moving around, traveling, pipelines. So you think about We transport oil, we transport natural gas long distances in the U.S., right? There's pipelines that go from Alberta, Canada, down to Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast, from the East Coast down to Florida. And so those are constantly either needing to be updated, repaired. But you think about a pipe is, say, 40 feet long. You, after a couple of days, you've moved a couple miles down the road. And mm-hmm. after a week, you've now moved 15 miles down the road. And, and you yeah. kind of get as this pipeline builds, like you're moving along with the pipeline. Yes. No, you're roughing the elements in that. And oh, so yeah. when you look at something like that, you're going to get paid more because the conditions are not as desirable as, say, going to an air conditioned workshop or, or a heated workshop in the, in the winter. But, you know, when we look at entry level wages, right, I mean, Depending on the part of the country, naturally, you're in the $17, $18, $19, $20 an hour. Yes. But the median of these are $25 to $30, $35 as you gain more experience. If you get into the more specialty welding, right? For example, aerospace welding on exotic materials, you know, it can keep ratcheting up from there. 
which is, as I mentioned, all the mm-hmm. diversity of all the different options. If you become, I'll call it multidimensional, you learn mm-hmm. more than one welding process. You work in more than one industry because there is a lot of kind of boom and bust in some of the industries. Take oil, sure. for example. When the oil price dropped down, there's not a lot of welding going on in the oil patch because everyone's focused on cost containment. Sure. But now it's above $80 a barrel. Those jobs are coming back. So then they start hiring welders and droves. Mm-hmm. So construction machinery. So again, every time they build a road, you've got to move the dirt around. You've got to excavate. You've got to do all these things. So that industry has been fairly strong here over the last several years. Sure. As we look at the potential infrastructure plan in front of us, you know, a lot of that's focused on roads and bridges. Yes. So a lot of bridges, as you mentioned earlier, Keith, are welded together. Oh, yeah. So that'd be another area which could be in, in that arena, which we call structural steel welding. You could either work in a workshop where you're actually kind of building the bridge girder ahead of time, mm-hmm. or you can go out and work in the field and help to erect that bridge, to put that bridge up. Those are two different people, typically. It's not yeah, the same right. person that would be in the workshop and then travel the site for the larger scale project. I get it. So yeah, uh, I mean, tons of opportunity. Yeah. I also wonder, and this is, and, and if you can confirm this, I've heard that when people are traveling, their accommodations, they're given stipends and their accommodations are covered. Because obviously if you have to go pay to live in two different places, that can be cost prohibitive. Can you talk about that? Because that's the first thing I know that would jump in my head if I had to go live somewhere else, now I have two homes I have to maintain, which could be cost prohibitive. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And there are a couple of different ways that happens. And two of them are kind of the most common. One is like a per diem, right? You're allocated X number of dollars per day, and that's for food, lodging, your travel expenses. And you can turn around and spend that how you want, Mm -hmm. right? If you're kind of traveling with a group of people that you're familiar with, oftentimes they're going to stay together. Sure. Right? They're going to share a room or whatever, split the cost because you're working typically 12 hours a day in those cases mm-hmm. because the idea is get done as quickly as possible and go home. In those cases, it's up to you to manage your budget, right? Of let's say you're getting $150 per day and that's going to cover your room and all your food, your gas and all that. Well, if I go and get a $120 hotel room, which would be nice, well, now I've got to be eating fast food out of the gas station. You know, or if I get a couple of friends together, four of us go in on a hundred dollar room. Now I'm only spending twenty five dollars on my lodging. Now I've got the additional for I can eat a little nicer or what a lot of people do is they just save that. That's additional income. Right. Another alternative is they might provide housing to you, depending on the type of environment. They might even provide the food for you. So like Mm -hmm. I mentioned, when you go and work on an oil rig, I mean, everything's provided. Lodging's provided delicious food from what I'm told. I know a lot of people in the industry that have traveled out and worked on site. And I mean, it's like first class steak, lobster, the whole kit nice. because you're out in the middle of the ocean. I mean, it's not, you know, these aren't, you know, ideal cushy working conditions. So they do all they can, ice cream 24 seven, soda machines, nice. all that. And so they're trying to ensure that you're comfortable. Because again, I mentioned earlier, if you're comfortable, you're productive. The more productive are, the better off the employer is. And so it's really that symbiotic relationship by treating the employees correctly, right? Ensuring they're safe, 
right? Comfortable. And in return, an employee is going to work a little bit harder, maybe not consciously, but at least subconsciously, definitely they're going to contribute more to that employer. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's leadership 101. You know, you treat people right, you take care of them, they're going to take care of you. You know, um, wanted to talk about the importance of online presence. I saw a video of you on a website where you were talking about welders. And I wanted to get your take on how you feel about skill trades professionals using video to showcase their skills and build their online presence. Because like I said, you know, anytime I'm going to have a guest on the podcast, I go and I look at their online presence. It helps me to learn about the guests, but it helps me to just understand who I'm bringing on my podcast. And I, I got to believe employers are not very different from what I'm doing. So talk about that importance of having that online presence. In a short clip, right? Less than a minute, you know, certain things you can pick up. Confidence, right? Their communication style, their nonverbal cues, right? If you're sitting kind of hunched over, slouched with no enthusiasm, right? You're representing kind of who you are, right? Yes. If you're confident and you're looking into the camera, you know, you're prepared, right? It's only a minute. If you have to sit there and read for a minute profile, you haven't prepared enough. That shows you something. So I actually, you know, we hire a lot of people here to support the American Welding Society. One of the partners we work with provides a less than one minute video, mm -hmm. right? I love seeing those. Instantly, I open that up because I'm not, I'm not going to read every line of a resume, right? I, yeah. I, I, that's not what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so the video works out perfectly because instantly within five or 10 seconds, I've got my initial impression of, okay, I see the confidence. They're actually prepared. Okay. If it's request is a minute and it's four minutes long after a minute 30, I'm, I'm stopping it. Right. I signed up to watch a minute long introduction. That's part of the commitment of that intro. The intro is supposed to be concise, clear, get your point across and represent who you are. Mm -hmm. And in our world today, right, this kind of the video conferencing and all those types of things, you know, it started at FaceTime was kind of the one I remember being the I first mass, you know, video conferencing platform. And now you, if you try to Google it, there's probably 2000 returns of how many different platforms there are. So people recognize that video and at least seeing the person. And again, nothing in my opinion can replace seeing a person like in the flesh, eye to eye. Yes. The video gives you all this additional context beyond when I'm reading something, I get no sense of who that person is. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where video really does is the next best thing versus that in-person interview. Because in a lot of these skilled trades areas, I mean, they're hiring 10 welders at a time, 20 welders at a time. This isn't like they're looking for one welder and get 25 applicants. They're looking for 10 and get eight applicants, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're getting 10 and depending on the area, maybe a, a class is coming out of the local technical school. So it might be 25. How do you separate yourself from all those other applications that go in. Because I will say, and again, I'm hiring um, not welders for myself. I always go to the LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. If this is somebody that I'm going to end up interviewing, I definitely go to the LinkedIn profile. And if That's there's great. not a photo there, here's an example. I'm already like, why don't you have a photo? <laughs> right? You know, those are like, I get a lot of requests. If there's yeah. no photo, I immediately decline a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, what is that photo? Is it a professional photo? Does it represent if they're a creative person? 
okay, have a creative photo. But if you're a professional looking for some type of a engineering role and you've got some creative photo on there, I'm like, not on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. On Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, no problem. Put whatever yeah. you want on there because I don't view those as much as business platforms. Mm-hmm. Although that is a lot of where who we communicate to as the American Wellness Society, you know, our largest following is on Facebook, right? Yeah. It's got the largest social media presence that makes sense. And it's also got the broadest presence. And so how we communicate there is going to be slightly different than how we might communicate on a different platform. Mm-hmm. So take that into account. Because if I type in your name, Google you, all your social media profiles show up. Yes. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I've I mean, if it. I forget my Twitter handle or whatever, I just Google myself and there it is. G Converse yeah. guy, I, you know, yeah. that's the world we live in today. And so if you can separate yourself in video, the right images, are critical to kind of rising and and separating when you're in a crowd. Yeah. And Gary, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at Caterpillar. Caterpillar had an event with the local American Welding Society, the Atlanta chapter. And I was sitting down with a young man and he was, we were, there was a person who was going to do the hiring and I was nudging him and telling him, make sure that you connect with that person. Make sure you guys information. He was younger than he, you know, he had to be, I'd say in his early twenties. And he's like, well, I'm just going to apply. I'm like, he's right there. You might, you may want to get his information because he was talking, he was coming around the tables where we were sitting. And um, I was asking this young man about, you know, his online presence, like, okay, like, cause he was saying he was going to mail in an application. I said, well, what's your online? He goes, oh, I don't have any social media or any online presence. So they can't find anything bad with me. And I said, well, they can't find you if you don't have that. You're on, it's very, it'll be very strange to us if we can't find any online presence because we're wondering what you're hiding. You know, I said, that's not a good thing to not have that. You know, I said, people don't show up at your house for a job opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you can't be found, then you don't exist. And it didn't really register to him. And as explaining, I think he may have started to get it, but I was like, you've got to have an online presence. You've got to have something online, you know, in 2020. I forget what year it was, but you know, like in this day and time, you yeah. have to have an online presence. It's the first thing people do is they look at LinkedIn. That's the first thing I look at when I'm looking at doing business or with anybody. I'm going to look at LinkedIn. It's the first site I go to. So I keep stressing to people the importance of, of having that online presence. I want to ask you, for people who are not familiar with your organization, why should someone who's new and just getting started into business join your organization? Yeah, I mean, you just gave an example for me, Keith, right? So we are locally based, grassroots-led organization. What that means is around the United States, I'll focus there, we've got 145 chapters. Mm-hmm. And so those chapters are geographically based. You mentioned the Atlanta chapter. And on a monthly basis during, I'll call it the school year, because they take the summer off, there is what they call a section meeting. And at the section meeting, they'll have some type of technical topic. So there's the opportunity to actually influence and say, hey, I'd like to hear about XYZ topic. And so you can be part of that. But when you attend those section meetings, you meet people in the industry. So when you're newly into the industry and you're still trying to find out what's your passion within the welding space, talking to as many people as possible that are doing different things in the industry and also had a different career trajectory through the industry 
is you can just kind of explore. You can learn about what your future might hold. Mm-hmm. You can learn about new opportunities because again, every section meeting that I've attended through all my years, somebody's always looking to hire somebody. Yes. Right. That's like a universal truth. And it's not that people are going there to poach the other section members because it's not for that purpose. But if someone at the meeting doesn't know of a job that's or somebody that needs to be hired, somebody knows of somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to that scalability. Yeah. I go to a section meeting and, and introduce myself to 15 people, but those 15 people know of how many other people that might have what you're looking for. And one of the things about the welding industry, as big as it is, it's extremely small. It's yes. very tight knit and very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And so what I have found, and we're actually looking at how can we formalize some of the mentorship aspects, but our members love to help new entrants into the welding industry. They love to share their experiences. They're willing to help. I mean, right now, downstairs, we're about to have what we call committee meeting. Okay, so the AWS I mentioned earlier is volunteer driven. So here in Miami, we're just the staff. We're the back office supporting the volunteers that are actually leading the welding industry into the future. Mm -hmm. So we bring in subject matter experts, And they help to create the content, the direction, the strategy, all of that. And then we execute upon that as staff. Mm -hmm. And so downstairs later at starting at 10 o'clock, we're going to have, I think there's about 14 or 15 volunteers that have traveled to Miami, but there's actually going to be another 25 or 30 in a hybrid fashion online. At dinner last night, the one person said, you know why this is so valuable? Yeah, the meeting itself. Yeah, there's a lot of good information, all that. But when I have a coffee before the meeting starts, I meet a new contact that I know someday if I needed help, yes. I could pick up the phone and call them. Right yes. At dinner last night, we had great conversation. I learned a ton of new things around some new technology in the market. Right, I wouldn't have learned that had I not sat down next to these gentlemen last night. Mm-hmm. And that's that power of that network and building a network. And the earlier you start building a network, the larger it gets later in your life. Oh, yeah. So maybe you spend 10 years as a welder, 20 years as a welder. You're like, you know what? I'd rather be in supervision or I'd rather be in quality where now I'm helping other welders to be more successful. And so you'll pick up one of those contacts, call them up. Hey, I'd like to get my certified welding inspector. Could you lead me down the path and help me to be successful? And I'm telling you, in this industry, people are almost always going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what you build. You build a community of people that are, go- are willing to share their experiences because I don't think all industries are like that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of like knowledge is power. And if I've got knowledge, and I don't give it all to you. Then I'll always kind of have a, a leg up and I'm not going to bring you up to my level. And welding's not like that. We want to bring the young generation in. We know how critical that is to our future as an industry. And so our more experienced members love interacting. They invite students to their sections. I went to a section meeting in Denver, Colorado about a month ago. You know, any student that showed up got a free dinner. Nice. (laughs) They had 35 students show up. Nice. And the local section has to raise the funding to be able to actually do that. But that's a commitment that they want the students to come and feel welcome and then connect. And so some of the other things, you know, we give out a ton of scholarships, right? And so if you're looking at it's cost prohibitive, go to aws.org, 
you'll see on there under our foundation that we are, next year we're going to issue more than $2 million in scholarships wow. to people attending welding programs. Wow. That's okay? a big deal. It's a big deal. We're also, we give grants to welding schools so those schools can expand or they can add new technology based on what's needed in their local industry. But we're also issuing up to $500,000 in grants every single year. Oh, that's amazing. And so getting connected to this network, because a lot of those scholarships are given at those section level, mm -hmm. right? Welding competitions. There's one that's going to happen in North Georgia here pretty soon. Hugely popular now. But a lot of them, you can actually win a scholarship for your, to help you with your welding school. And so there's all these things that getting connected to the network provide benefits, not just today, but for the rest of your career. hundred percent. And you know, one thing I wanted to emphasize, welding schools, usually a lot of times can take nine months to a year and you're complete. And I promise you the cost is lower than what people are paying in college tuition. So when you hear a scholarship that, you know, you're getting a free education for a profession that they're lining up to hire people before the programs are even finished is what I'm told. Because a lot of these schools, and I'm sure, and I think you're, I'm sure your organization is doing this, they are building relationships with the employers. So by doing that, again, this is something I learned just from talking to folks, they understand what it takes to be successful in that company because they already have the relationship with the company. So I imagine that that is another benefit of joining your organization simply because of the relationships you have with local businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, the placement rate for somebody that completes a welding program, you know, the bad programs are in the 80% range. Wow. <laughs> the good programs are 94 to 95%. If you finish your welding certificate, yes. like you're pretty much guaranteed a job if you have the right commitment, you show up on time, all those things that are just table stakes for any job you're going to do. There's such a demand. And if you go to these schools, they are so connected. They'll have career fairs, they have job boards, again, depending on the school, depend on the level of support you'll get in that area. But again, there was a recent job fair, they had 40 companies coming to hire, the majority of them hiring 10 or more people. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Let's just say on average, there's three or four per company, more than 100 jobs, one job fair. That's amazing. Right? And I look and see the opportunity for people if they're willing to put in a little effort, and you can actually get a basic understanding in about a five-month full-time program, okay? So a five-month full-time program where you're going to go five days a week, you're going to go to school, but it's not going to be traditional mm -hmm. school where you sit in a classroom and get lectured yeah. at all day. There's going to be a couple hours of lecture, maybe an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, however they break it down. And the rest of the time is going to be under the hood yes. because you don't learn how to weld in a classroom. You learn how yes. to weld in a welding booth or on a job. Yes. My recommendation is learn into a booth, right? So you get that fundamentals, you get the muscle memory, you learn the nuances of if I go hotter, if I go faster, I go slower, all those things, you learn in a controlled environment with an instructor helping you. Then when you go out to get that first job, man, you at least have that foundation that you understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And again, you mentioned it. Think about a return on investment. I go to a technical school, nine-month program. I get some grants. I get a couple of scholarships. I maybe owe five or $6,000 when I'm done. Mm -hmm. I come out, I'm making $20 an hour. 
a little bit of overtime, which is normal, $50,000 a year. Meanwhile, person B over here has gone to college. You know, they went to a local public school in the state, room and board, everything. It's still 30 grand a year. Yes, it is. Right? They're yeah. paying 30. They get those grants. Let's say they're putting 20 into the loan each year. Unfortunately, most don't finish in four years. It's now That's five true. is more common. Yeah. So now you've got a yeah. hundred grand five years later versus the person that started with $5,000 in loans has been making $50,000 for five years. They've mm-hmm. now 245,000 in the positive where the person on the college is 100,000 in the negative. And that's after five years, yeah. right? Now, after 25 years, it starts to change. Sure. But if I've been working for five years, I made $250,000. I spent reasonably. I started saving. I've probably got a reliable vehicle at that point. I'm mm-hmm. looking at buying my first home. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, this other individual has not even started a career yet. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't know. I mean, the average person has five or six, seven different jobs in the first 10 years nowadays. And oftentimes they're changing careers because they don't know what they want to do. It's true. And so now, yeah, I'm welding. I might change jobs just as many times, but I'm building a portfolio of experiences in the same skill trade. Mm -hmm. And each of those builds upon itself. And as I go Mm -hmm. further into my career, I look back and say, I welded on aluminum boats before. I can do this. So if that's what's hot in your local community, you can go get a job in that shipyard. I've welded on these other structural steel members. Okay, I'm willing to travel for a little bit. I got a period in my life that I'm comfortable doing that. I'm going to go to where all this the steel uh, construction's at. It's a transportable skill that you can go anywhere with building a multi-dimensional skill set can work in almost any industry. I want to touch on that too, the importance of the ability to go anywhere. One of the things that the pandemic has done is that you're seeing people move from high cost of living areas to areas that are more affordable. I also think that if you're a young person, because let's face it, a lot of the people who are just getting started in it and who are just finishing high school are young people. That's the best time to travel. That's the best time to be mobile. I, you know, I, anytime I run into young people, I tell them, leave your state, go somewhere else. Just see what another part of the country is like. If you don't like it, you can always go back home. But you grow so much by, and you gain confidence just by the ability to go work in another part. It's You're in the same country. It's not like, I remember I, I was in Atlanta and moved to uh, Philadelphia for a couple of years and people would ask, how'd you move all the way up to Philadelphia? I said, this is America. I mean, Georgia, Pennsylvania, you acted like I moved from across the ocean. I said it was yeah. just in Georgia. I mean, it's not like, you know, and I think, well, that was pre-pandemic, but I think people are probably not as surprised now when people are moving from one place to another. So I say that just to say that it's great when you can go work somewhere else and still be able to work because everybody doesn't have that opportunity. There's not every industry where you could just get up and move and be able to make a living and that's powerful, especially if you can, you know, let's say you were based in California and you're making California income and you've moved to a state where the cost of living is lower. That's an advantage. And I imagine that with welding, because it pays well, I mean, you have that opportunity. And I also think that a lot of people should recognize that. And I heard something you were saying earlier is you can get into leadership roles or roles where you're teaching people or, or being in a leadership position where I guess you're not where it's not maybe as physical. So it covers so many different areas that people don't even think about. Can you tell us what are some areas that you think career opportunities that people would not have thought about they could take on as a welder? 
that might be the non-traditional roles? Yeah, I mean, I'll start on the technology side. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, robotics. Robotics is big in a lot of different industries. Welding is one of them. And what I used to say, I, I was responsible for some robotic automation um, integration organizations before. And we used to say, it's a lot easier to teach a welder how to program a robot than a robot programmer how to weld. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it's impossible to teach somebody that doesn't know how to, to weld to weld with the robot, right? That's yeah. just not going to work long term. It can work short term and all that, but long term, it's not sustainable. So you can move into the technology areas, right? Additive manufacturing. So they have wire arc additive manufacturing. So there's the technicians that are out there working with it, with the, the materials as they're being completed. But then there's the engineers that as you learn about that process, you can start to build the skill set to move into maybe the design side. Because you kind of have seen how it actually happens and some of the pitfalls based on the real practical application of it that you can then move in and look at the design side. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I mentioned earlier, I've got a, a, an example, uh, a gentleman, he was a Marine. He gets out of the Marines. He wasn't really sure what he was going to do. So he went to welding school. He decided to be an iron worker. So an iron worker is working out, building buildings, outdoors, wonderful career, right? Great partners of the American Welding Society. And one day he's sitting there and they're in Las Vegas and the sun's beating down on him. And he looks over and sees a guy sitting in his truck. And every once in a while, the get, guy gets out of his truck and walks over and starts looking at the different weld. Then he turns to, to the welder next to him and says, hey, who's that guy? What's he doing? He goes, oh, that's the certified welding inspector, right? So the employers will have, and they're part of the quality program, is they're visually inspecting the quality of the work to ensure that it's meeting the criteria that was set, right? Because each weld should meet a minimum standard. And so the certified welding inspector is ensuring that all the welders are meeting that minimum standard. And he'd look at the welds, do his role, and he'd hop back in the truck. And he says, how do you become that guy? He says, well, you there's a very rigorous examination. And if you pass that examination, you've got the right qualifications, which is either years of experience, might be some college, whatever it might be. And you could sit and become a CWI. And so he said, I'm going to become a CWI. So now let's fast forward about four or five years. I just saw him here recently. He now is a business owner. Oh, so wow. he went and got a CWI. He started working for some other people as a CWI. And then he's like, you know what? I could do this myself. So what he actually started was a small fabrication company because he knows how to weld. But his core business is to get hired as a certified welding inspector by other organizations to help with their quality program. So here's a person that entered the industry. He did go and get an associate's degree in welding. He went to work as a welder, recognized, you know what? This is tough on the body. This isn't probably what I want to do. Went and got a CWI. Once he had a CWI a couple of years, he then opened up his own business. He's an entrepreneur now. That's amazing. That is a common story, actually, right? It's actually common for people to weld. And if they want to do something different, to build upon that skill that they've been building, become a certified welding inspector, to go back to school to become a welding engineer or a welding engineering technologist, right? Move into R&D areas. So a lot of organizations, they have to develop new product. Well, who's going to help to create the new prototypes? They need a welder typically. So then you're in that area of like thinking about the future of what company is actually going to produce. 
and being mm-hmm. part of the R&D team. So now you get to apply your experience in a different way. And you're so valuable because you've lived so many different situations that you know what they engineer on paper doesn't always match the real world. And you can be that yes. bridge between the engineers and the actual the work floor to make sure that it works much more efficiently. Definitely. Gary, final question. What are some resources for potential welders that people can check out, whether it be a YouTube channel, a podcast, a website, groups or associations? Yeah. So if you're new and you're, you're really wondering, you know, what are the different types of jobs within the welding industries? Careersinwelding.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's powered by our foundation. But that mm-hmm. kind of gives you an example. There's sales roles, welder fabricator, a welding educator, robotic technician, and kind of gives you an introduction to what those roles actually are right? Gives you median pay and all those types of things. So it's a great place to just start to learn about the different areas and the different careers. Um, Our actual website's got a lot of different products and services, aws.org. And then there are now a bunch of YouTube sites out there, you know, not affiliated with us, but, you know, I happen to watch them myself because there's a lot of neat things on there. You know, weld.com, weldingtipsandtricks.com, weldtube.com. So again, not affiliated with AWS, but they've got quite the subscriber base, you know, Mm -hmm. 500,000, 800,000 subscribers watching these videos related to welding, right? And I like to call it like they're entertaining and they're doing welding, right? So for me, it's like, again, maybe a little bit of a welding nerd in that way. I find it hugely interesting to watch those channels, but then also look at, you know, on social media, right? So There are tons of people in the welding space that are very, very active on social media, right? And there's all the way from industry influencers, right, to people that just like to post their weld. Yes. And every once in a while, I'll get this like string of requests and it's Joe Welder, Jane Welder, Welder123, Welder. It's just, it's a huge community out there. And I'll even throw out TikTok. Right. Yes. My sister, who has nothing to do with the welding industry, sends me welding TikTok videos all the time. Wow. Right? I don't know why it goes across her feed. I don't know what she's looking at, but it's there on social media as well. Right. And so if you're interested in it, there's so many different areas that people are disseminating information all day, every day. I know one of your your first podcast, Rachel Lee. Yes. Right. Yes. So she's a good follow, right? So she actually attended yeah. our AWS Instructors Institute this past summer. You know, now she's the treasurer of that Atlanta section you highlight. Yes. Right? And I mean, she's connected. She was just on a podcast, the Welding Women Syndicate here a couple of weeks ago. It was a live, live yeah. stream from California to Atlanta, right? Yeah. I got the chance to sit in on that for a while. I mean, if you're looking, it's everywhere right now. And that's what's so exciting about this point in time with how social media has become the norm. Yes. Like you said, when you're talking to that young person and they didn't have a social media presence, you're like, man, that troublesome today. Yes, like, it we're is. We're past that, oh, I'm, I'm too cool. I don't want to be on social media phase. It is part of the fabric of the business community today. And it's also one of the greatest learning tools to see what's happening 100%. out there. What are people doing I mean, I'm LinkedIn learning. I mean, I'm on there learning every day from social media. And I never thought that that would be the outcome of what social media turned into. It really was a place to stay in touch with my friends and family. 
Now it's become one of my biggest learning tools between the types of people I follow, the types of organizations I follow. I mean, my feed is just so rich with information. You know, sometimes it's actually information overload. Yeah. You know what it is, is I think, Gary, you and I, I grew up at a time where I had encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a time where I didn't grow up with the internet. So I had to go and do physical research in libraries and read books and get, and now, so now I appreciate it. So the younger generation who grew up with the internet all the time didn't experience that. Didn't experience like an encyclopedia having to, well, we have the older encyclopedias. It's not updated. I already read through it. Now I got to go to the library and I got to go find this information. You know, when I was in sales, I had to go make cold calls without knowing who I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. We appreciate the internet now and social media because of the access to information, the speed at which you can move. If you didn't experience what we experienced before, you can't appreciate this. Never thought of that's, that way. I, yeah, I mean, it's like six tenths of a second, you had the answer that you might used to spend an hour looking for in an encyclopedia and you Google it. And, <laughs> I mean, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Gary, tell us how people could find you and your organization. Uh, share any leads or social media that you want to share about your organization. Yeah, so aws.org, you know, where we're focused today is on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram are the three primary areas, right? I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And so I've actually personally dedicated Facebook to my personal family and friends at this point. So I typically do not post anything business related in Facebook. I keep that all to LinkedIn. Um, But same with our organization, you'll see a little bit different communication styles on each of those different platforms. So if one of those areas, we're not messaging to you, you know, try out some of the other different social media sites. But again, that careersinwelding.com, I mean, it's a critical resource. If you're researching welding, I encourage you to start there and feel free to reach out to me directly, right? You can DM me on any of those different platforms I just highlighted. I'd love to have a conversation. If you want to get on the phone and and take some time just to chat about what you're thinking, I would be more than happy to do that. And I've got a lot of people within my network that would equally love to do that. I probably could connect somebody even locally. You want to meet to have a cup of coffee or, or whatever you might want. I mean, that's one of the powers of the network. And that's one of my roles is to be connecting people to the welding industry. So if I can help you in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Gary, thank you so much. And folks, that's powerful because not everybody offers that. So take advantage of Gary's offer. Please do that. And Gary, I thank you so much for being a guest. I enjoyed this. Let's stay in touch. If there's anything I could do to help or support the work you're doing, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask. Thanks a lot, Keith. Keep up the great work. You know, the voice for the skilled trades, we need more and more of them. So thank you for what you're doing. My pleasure, Gary. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.